Welcome to the Bible Teachers, featuring sermons from around Australia. And here is today's presenter, Pastor Ashley Smith. Okay, let's have a quick word of prayer and then we'll jump into the scriptures. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that we can be here this morning. We want to thank you for the testimony, the praise. We want to thank you for Annabella's uh, song that she sang for us. We want to thank you for Robin's children's story. We want to thank you for the team that's been up here, the team that has been praising you, and the young people that have been up here praising you as well. What an awesome thing it is to make a joyful song to you. As we jump into the Word of God and seek instruction from your Word, we ask and pray that you may speak to us, that you may bless the reading of your Word, that you may bless our understanding of the Word, and that we may leave this place today with a greater understanding of who you are and that which you require of us. Father, our eyes are upon you. We pray this prayer in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I invite you to open with me to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 7. Revelation 7. Um, For those who are new to church here today, if you attend somewhere else or you've just dropped in today, I want to welcome you. We have been journeying through the book of Revelation. The past couple of weeks, we've been looking at Revelation chapter 13. This week, however, we're looking at Revelation chapter 14. It kind of makes a little bit of sense. You know, we're going through the book of Revelation. Revelation isn't like a book where you start at the, desti- the beginning and you end at the destination and the end. It is, but at the same time, there's a few U-turns, a couple of U-turns to, well, before you get to the end. It repeats itself and then it enlarges. It repeats and then it enlarges. And in Revelation chapter 7, starting in verse 1, we see this picture. Today we're looking at the 144,000. Now, you may have heard of that number before. We're looking at who the 144,000 is. And in Revelation chapter 7, we're going to read the scriptures and what the scriptures have to say here. It says, After these things I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. And then from verses 5 to verse 8, it lists the 12 tribes of Israel and their numbers of 12,000 per tribe. Now the question I want to ask you this morning, as we just read those passages there, the Bible very clearly states to us that there are four angels holding back four winds. It is very, very easy for us to understand without me jumping to the text right now to explain to you what those four winds are. Because the consequence of them loosening those four winds is destruction upon the earth. That makes sense. So the 144,000 are a group of people towards the end, we could consider them a last generation, that are able to withstand this final time of trouble or this final time of trial before the coming of the Lord Jesus. Why do I think that? We jump up to chapter 6. And verse 14, let me read this event to you. This is just before in the context. Revelation 6, verse 14, the Bible says this. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up. What event do you think that's talking about? The second coming of Jesus. Okay. The second coming of Jesus being spoken of here, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. 
And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man, hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Verse 17 is very, very important. It says, For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? You see that question just there. Who is able to stand? Do you reckon the Bible asks a question and doesn't give you an answer? You find who is able to stand in the very next chapter. It would make sense. The question is asked, and you just think about it logically. When the Bible was put together, when John wrote the book of Revelation, he didn't say chapter 1 and verse 12. That was added later on. So when you read Revelation, there is no divisions by verses or chapters. It continues on. It's like when you're reading a book. Who is able to stand? Well, the 144,000 are able to stand. These people who are able to stand before the coming of the Lord in glory. When I was, when I was 21, you know, I don't know, for, for all the males out here, there's like an initiation to manhood where their friends like to hurt their friend who's just turned 21. Has that ever happened for you, males? Maybe not. I think I got all the pain that I experienced, you know, that milestone, and I got nothing on my bucks night, nothing at all. When I was 21, we came up with the idea, a bunch of mates and myself, that we would go and play a game of paintball. Little did I realise that the paintball game that we would be playing, I would actually have a high-visibility vest on because it was my 21st birthday. So I had 10 of my mates... I didn't really, I still consider them mates, but not at the time. And there was four rounds where I wore this high visibility vest. You might think differently of me after this story. And basically, this is the scenario. We were through the bushes, we had teams and everything like that, and I was always the one that was the most easily spotted. So I wore it. However, the last round, the final round of the paintball day, was this round which was Hunt the Birthday Boy. Or they have a similar one for a Bucks party, Hunt the Buck. And you're wearing the high visibility vest. And I had 10 of my mates, and we're in the bush. Like This is in Ballina. It's not like some nice place up the coast. There's bits of jagged iron sticking out, rusted you know, bits and pieces. Bush, you're running into trees. It's really primitive stuff. It's like you're in Nam or something like that. I certainly felt like it. And here, here I am you know, in the bush. And I had, I had extra ammunition because I was the birthday boy. I had unlimited lives. My mates had one life, and they had their ammunition. And I had the high visibility and they, vest. And they let me go out, I think it was a couple of minutes before they sounded the hooter, so I could hide. It's not very easy to hide when you're wearing a high visibility vest. It's pretty much impossible. So you have, I had two options, and I was sitting there like hiding under a branch. I'm just like, this is the stupidest thing. Everyone can see me. I have two choices. I can either eat or be eaten. And I was thinking, you know what? I have unlimited lives. I could be like the Terminator. <laughs> so as the hooter goes off and my mates you know, are walking through the bush like this, they're coming towards me because they know that I'm probably at the furthest point in the whole park. And as they're getting close, I'm just like, they're going to find me and they're going to hold me down and it's going to be game over. So what I decided to do... I stood up with my gun like this and I started screaming and charging towards them all. Just like, just like this, you know. 
and I was getting hit, like all over my front. They were coming behind me, flanking me, hitting me all in the back. But I have a very high pain threshold. If you ever played paintball with me before, you know that I have a very high pain threshold. So I was copying it. And I would just get really close to them, and I would just put 10 on them. And then they would just go and retire. I was the last person standing. <laughs> and I'm going to show you a picture on the screen. You're probably going to think differently of me after I show you this picture. And I apologize for that, but this is what I look like afterwards. OK? I'm going to change that very quickly. Who is able to stand? Who is able to stand? The last one standing. Those who are ready when Jesus comes are those who are able to stand. They have gone through the final time of conflict, the final trial. They've gained a victory over the beast and over his image and over his name and over the number of his name. This is God's people. We don't have to look around the world very far to realize that things are wrapping up. Those four winds are very rapidly, may I say, being loosened. What are those winds? Well, those winds are destruction. The word wind in the Bible is a symbol of destruction. You can see this just one verse of many verses in the Scripture. In Jeremiah, it says, Behold, a whirlwind of the Lord has gone forth in fury, a violent whirlwind. It will fall violently on the head of the wicked. I mean, what happened last week? The hurricanes. I mean, I don't need to convince you of that. The grip is getting looser and looser and looser. It's like a game of tug-of-war when you know that you've lost it. And it's just you're just trying to hang on for as long as you possibly can. The angels are holding on for one specific purpose. And what is that purpose? That God's people might be sealed. But it's also interesting, you know, when you look at the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1. Turn with me very quickly there. We see that there is an event which happens in heaven which causes these four winds to be loosened. Jesus has a threefold ministry. The first phase of Jesus' ministry is a sacrificial ministry. He performed that on earth, did he not? When he died as the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That was his sacrificial ministry. Jesus ascended to heaven after that. And he intercedes as our high priest. He has a high priestly ministry. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is Finished. In other words, his sacrificial ministry is finished. Jesus ministers in heaven. He does his ministry in heaven. But there comes a time when that is finished. Jesus isn't going to be a high priest throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity, church. And he finishes his ministry in heaven and he changes his priestly robes into what kind of robes? Kingly robes. And he comes and he reigns as king. Jesus is Lamb, he's sacrificed. Jesus is priest. Jesus is king. And the picture that we see here in Daniel chapter 12 is when Jesus finishes his priestly ministry to heaven. Look what happens. He stands up. It says, at that time, Michael shall stand up. It's another name for Jesus. The great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And when Jesus finishes his intercession in the heavenly sanctuary, look what happens. It says, there shall be such a time of trouble. Such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And I love the end of this verse. It says, and at that time your people shall be what? They shall be delivered. Every one who is found written in the book. And this is the news that I want to share with you this morning. God takes you through the trial. 
while everyone is trying to get around the pain or get around the conflict, God says we're going through it and we're going through it together. When the disciples are on that boat on the Sea of Galilee and the storm was coming, they had a destination and the destination was the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And although things got tempestuous, although the seas were rough, although the winds were severe, Jesus was on the boat and when Jesus was on the boat, they got through to the other side, did they not? Same with the people of God. They go through the furnace. They go through the affliction and they are saved through it, not out of it. Common thoughts is that there's going to be a rapture where God's people are delivered from the trial. But I only read of a rapture that happens when Jesus comes back after the trial. And I love it how in Revelation it talks about the 144,000, this group of people that are waiting for the Lord to come. I love it how it talks about them in reference to the children of Israel. It reminds me of a story. It reminds me of somebody who went through a time of trouble and was victorious. Can you think of that person? Job, Jesus, they all went through a time of trouble. But link it with Israel. Someone's name was changed, Jacob. Jacob is wrestling with the angel in Genesis chapter 32, which is Jesus. And when the morning is about to break, Jesus gives him a new name. What was Jacob's previous name? Supplanter or deceiver. That's a terrible name. Not not the name Jacob, but a, a terrible meaning. A terrible meaning. You know what I meant there. It's a terrible meaning. Because in that culture, a name had a meaning. Names have meanings today, but not so much. My name is Ashley, which means a beautiful meadow. I don't go around saying, hey, my name's Ashley, I'm a beautiful meadow. You're like, please get away from me. And in trying to choose a name for our baby, Rosie is more interested in the meanings of the names than the names themselves. So she's choosing terrible names. I'm like, Rosie, it doesn't matter what the meaning is. They'll probably remember that twice in the year. They have their name every single day of the week. So Jacob's name was Deceiver. So whenever he was introducing himself to somebody, they knew that he was Deceiver, he was a supplanter. God gives him the victory over his name. God gives him the victory over his history. God gives him a victory over what he was and makes him something that he can be through God and by God. Look at this. Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. No, it doesn't say you have struggled against God. You've struggled with God and with men and you have prevailed. In other words, you have overcome. The 144,000 go through a time called Jacob's time of trouble. The time that never has been since there was such a nation. And God's people are considered as overcomers. And they overcame him, finish this with me, church, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives even to the death. Overcomer. Either you are overcoming or you are overcome. Revelation chapter 2 to 3, we've looked at that as we've gone through Revelation. There is an emphasis. We looked at this in our Sabbath school this morning. There is an emphasis that every single one of those admonitions of Jesus... How do I know they're by Jesus? Well, they're written in red. Maybe they're not written in red in your Bible. Maybe another color. It might be black. Words of red or words of Jesus. These are written in red. They're Jesus' words to the churches. In other words, they're Jesus' words to you, which means that we should pay attention to them. 
And at every single one of Jesus' interactions with the churches throughout history, he says, to he who overcomes, 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 to he who overcomes. And my favorite last song, which is talking in the time period with 144,000 come out of, he says, to he who overcomes because I have overcome. Your ability to overcome is only because Jesus overcome. It's not like your resume that you're handing to God or your report card saying, God, I've got a few A's here. That's pretty good. God says, that's cute. You don't go to heaven on the back of your own curtails. It's God. It's God alone. It always has been. It always will be. It can be nothing else but God. But you've got to choose God. Just as you say yes to God for his salvation, you've got to choose him every day. You know when they applied the blood to the mantelpiece when the children of Israel went out of Egypt? They could choose to do that, but they also had to choose to stay under it. We can choose to be saved. We could also, be cho- cho- we could also choose to be lost. And it's interesting when in Revelation chapter 7, turn back with me there, there are two tribes that aren't mentioned out of the 12. The tribe of Dan and the tribe of Ephraim. Why? Those two tribes gave themselves over to apostasy and idol worship. In the time of um, Jeroboam, they set up golden calves in Bethel, in Dan, and there was a lot of idolatrous worship happening in Ephraim as well. They were saved. They were delivered from Egypt. They went into the promised land, but they're not a part of the 144,000 here. And this is symbolic, obviously. We are called to be overcomers because Jesus is an overcomer. And we only overcome through his blood. And we can encourage others to overcome through the word of our testimony. It's the call that God has given to each and every one of us if we profess his name. And in Revelation chapter 7, there's an angel that goes forward with a sealing message. In other words, an angel is a messenger. There's a a sealing message going out before this happens. And there's a call not to let loose these four winds until God's people are sealed. Now, we're going to have a look at what the seal is in a couple of weeks. We're not going to have a look at that today. We just don't have time. However, God's people are sealed where? The Bible says that they are sealed on their foreheads. Now, a seal means ownership. When I got married, I no longer own things. I duly own them. You know what I mean? I inherited, Rosie inherited. You know, a seal is ownership. If you sign your name, you're owning to that document that you have signed. You've agreed to put your print on there. A seal is ownership. And if God is sealing his people, what is that saying about his people? They cannot be bought. They cannot be sold. They are God's people and they are God's people entirely. Now, the question I want to ask you is, who is doing the sealing? According to scripture, who's the one that seals? The Holy Spirit seals us. Look at what it says here in Ephesians chapter 1. It says, In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The Holy Spirit is the sealer. It is not the seal. The Holy Spirit seals you, it prepares you, it fashions you, he changes you, but he's not the seal itself. 
Does that make sense? You know, I'll show you a picture of a seal up here on the, the screen. This is a seal. So in ancient cultures, if you wanted to seal a document, you would take your signet ring, the person who was doing the sealing, they would get the wax, they would heat the wax, and then they would put their signet ring into the wax, and it would make a seal. The person who is sealing isn't the seal. The seal is on the paper. The seal points people to the one who has sealed it, but it's not that person. And this is exactly what this is with this seal here that we're reading in Scripture. The Holy Spirit is not the seal, but he is the one that does the sealing. Really, it's what the Holy Spirit makes in their life. The fruits that the Holy Spirit brings in their life. We studied that in our Sabbath school lesson today, didn't we? They're a reflection of heaven. They're a reflection of Christ-likeness. They reflect the image of Jesus. How many of us here take the name Christ, Christians? We all do. You're a bit worried what I was about to say then, weren't you? But we're Christians. We follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Do we take his name in vain? Sometimes I think, you know, when we look at the Ten Commandments, and particularly the third one, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, we think of it in reference to things that come out of our mouth. Little do we realize that in taking the name of Jesus, sometimes we can misrepresent him in the lives that we live. Does our neighbor have a positive interaction with Jesus because of the Jesus that we profess? Do we rightly represent God or do we misrepresent God? No wonder Paul says that we have a high calling. You know that God, you just think about this, this has just come to me just all of a sudden, that God would entrust you with his name. That's crazy. That's huge. That's a high calling that God gives us, but by the grace of God, we can fulfill the calling that he has given to us. We are sealed in our foreheads. God knows it's a symbol. It's not a physical branding that comes from heaven that sears onto our foreheads. In 2 Timothy, this is what it says. It says, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows who are his. He knows those who profess his name, but deny the power thereof. And he knows those who are truly his in heart and in deed. And this is the next thing. Look at this. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. God wants us to be different. God wants us to be righteous. We receive the righteous garments of Jesus Christ when we choose him as our redeemer and as our saviour. But he wants to continue to fashion you into his likeness. I think sometimes we use it as a bit of a cop-out sometimes when we say that we are sinners. Yes, we are. But although we are sinners, it should not give us the license to sin. You know what I mean? In all of our lives, and I'm speaking corporately here, my life included, there are things that I know in my life that are not right with God. There are cherished things in my life that I know that I'm struggling with. And praise God, I'm struggling with them. It would be opposite, wouldn't it, if I wasn't struggling with them, if I was embracing them. God's people are overcomers because they see the iniquity in their lives and they want to rid themselves of the works of the flesh, to crucify themselves wholeheartedly unto God. Say, God, I'm in, I am yours in mind and body and indeed I am entirely yours. There is nothing left that I have not given to you. 
In Romans 12, it says that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable act of worship. We're a living sacrifice, but a sacrifice that can choose to get up from the altar if it chooses. You can choose. The Bible says that we are to depart from iniquity. We are to allow Christ to reign in our lives wholeheartedly. And you want to know something really interesting. The closer and closer we get to the second coming of Jesus, the more of a distinction that there will be between the works of darkness and the works of life. I mean, you look at the the parable that Jesus shares about the wheat and the tares. As those two crops come to maturation, you see the weeds and the fruits of the weeds that produce, and you see the wheat and the fruits that the wheat produce. And then there's harvest time. You know, um, I just love this statement. It's from um, manuscript uh, 173. And it's talking about the 144,000. And this is what they experience. The people of God are sealed in their foreheads. Is not any seal or mark that can be seen, but a settling into the truth, both intellectually and spiritually, so they cannot be moved. How awesome is that? They have chosen who their master will be and nothing, no one can convince them otherwise. Their decision has been made up. The trial is before them absolutely but they know that their trial will end in triumph. Jesus reigns supreme. I'm going to skip this slide for the sake of time. Actually, we're not on that one yet. If you want to take a picture of that, that's the difference between the 144,000 and the multitude that you see in Revelation chapter 7. Snowy, you might want to take a picture of that. We are talking about that earlier today or yesterday. Um, Turn with me now to Revelation chapter 14. Revelation 14 and verse 1. This is the triumph of the 144,000. We saw the trial of them. So we saw their trial in Revelation chapter 7. Now we see their triumph. And I think that's a good way to picture them. You know, I think sometimes we often focus on the struggle or the trial or the hurt, but you know, there's going to be a great day where we won't be able to recall a lot of those things because of the glory that's before us. And in chapter 14, verse 1, look at what the Scriptures say. It says, Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him having 144,000, having his Father's name written on their foreheads. Now, The Father's name and the seal are synonymous. They both have to do with God's character, a settling into the truth, a settling into the reality of who God is. And I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. Okay, we're going to come back to that very shortly, but let me just say this right here. Notice that the 144,000 are redeemed. Redeemed by what? By the Lamb. We'll come to that soon. Um, Verse 4, These are the ones who will not defile with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. It's really cool. I love this. That's so awesome. You see, Revelation chapter 13, the final issue that this world will experience is an issue over something starting with W. What is it? Worship. 
You see God's final call in Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 and 7 through to 12. God calls for true worship. So sandwiched in between a call for false worship and sandwiched in between a call for true worship is a group of people, a minority, a remnant, who choose to worship God the way that he is set, who have settled into the truth. They have decided through hell or high water, he is their supremacy above anything or anyone. It's a call for all of us today, and I want to tell you something really cool, because when you look at the context of the 144,000 and you look at the the world who's marveling over the beast, the 144,000 follow the lamb wherever he goes. The world marvels and worships the beast. There's really only two choices. I mean, there's no in-between. It's either you worship the image of the beast or you worship the image of God. It's always been that choice. There's no third party. You know, when I was a young boy, my dad would sit me in front of the TV. It was willingly because it was the TV. And he would sit me in front of the TV. He loved to watch football. He's a, he's, um, he's a Parramatta supporter, which means he hasn't had much joy in his life. Um, and he has subjected that to me. And I carry the Parramatta baton, you know. They're probably... Yeah, it hasn't been very smooth sailing for us, to say the least. They have never won a premiership since I have been alive. Um, but I support them. Anyways, so I remember I was sitting down in front of the TV with my dad and he was shouting at the TV. He would say to me, so Ashley, who are you going for? And I'd be like, who are you going for, Dad? And he'd tell me who he was going for and then I would go for that team that he's going for. When that team started to lose, if it was Parramatta, it lost quite often, I would change teams. I would go for the opposite team. Then Parramatta scores a try again and they're in front, so I change back to Parramatta. It's like this game of tennis. It's just the yo-yo. You're just going for whoever wins. You don't really care. But notice that as a young person sitting in front of the TV with my dad, I could either choose Parramatta or the opposition. I never chose the referee. I think some people think, some people probably go for the referee. I don't know. The referees watching referees go for referees. I don't know. But you never go for the referee, and I never went for another team that wasn't playing. There's only two teams that you can go for. Really. And I went for whoever was winning. I think many people live that in their Christian experience. They go for whoever's winning. There's only two sides, which means there's only two results. And I know how this ball game's going to end because God's going to win. The Lamb wins. So why would you go for a a losing team? And God's people are situated, this 144,000, on a place called Mount Zion. This is final victory. Turn with me to the book of Joel, Joel 2 and verse 32. It's one of those obscure books in the Old Testament. It's after Daniel, Hosea, Joel. Joel 2.32. Joel 2.32. Okay, we all there? I'll give you a little bit of time because it does take a while to get there. Okay. Verse 32, it reads this, And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Is that good news? That God plays no favourites? That he doesn't look more positively upon the person sitting to the right, the right of you than what he does to you. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance. 
as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. Anyone can be saved, majority will be lost. That's a sad reality, isn't it, church? At the very end, when all things are almost said and done and God looks out upon all the wicked who have ever lived, the Bible uses this phrase to describe them. Their number is as the sand of the sea. They all had an opportunity. They all had a chance. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, but they chose, and God respects their decision. They reflect the image of the beast rather than the image of God. You know, um, I just love the scripture where it says, I just love this image, that the 144,000 are standing with who? They're standing with the lamb. Is it your desire today, church, to stand with the lamb? Are you standing with him today? Are you standing in his righteousness? Are you trusting in his strength? Or are you standing in the works of your own hands, the works of Cain, and trusting in your strength, the promises that you have made to God like Peter, although all men may forsake you, I will not. Your promises, your resolutions are like ropes of sand. You will never climb that ladder. Many have tried and many have fallen into despair. Ellen White says in the book Great Controversy, talking about the 144,000, this is such beautiful imagery here, nearest to the throne. Do you want to be the nearest to the throne? I think some people might want to be nearest to the throne because they want to be nearest because they'll be closer than somebody else. Nearest to the throne are those who were once zealous in the cause of Satan. Does that give you hope this morning? Who were once zealous in the cause of Satan, but who plucked as brands from the burning have followed their saviour with deep, intense devotion. That's the 144,000. They once were, but they have been washed. They've been cleansed. They've been sanctified. They've been justified. They've been set on a direction with their Lord, and they are immovable for him. So the question today, church, is what do they look like? This is my last slide. Six points. They are unique. How do I know they're unique? They sing a song, a unique song that only they can sing. They have a unique experience. I can't have your experience. You can't have my experience. But if we go through an experience together, then we can share that experience. This group of people who have gone through a great tribulation share that experience together, and it bonds them. And it doesn't just bond them to one another. It bonds them to God. In Revelation 15, verses 2 and 3, read this with me very quickly. This is the song that they sing. It's the song of Moses and the Lamb. It says, And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire. And those who have the victory over the beast, over his image, over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps to God. In other words, they're victorious. They have triumphed. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvellous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who receives the glory because of their overcoming? God does. The second thing is that they are redeemed. That word redeem means to buy or to purchase. 
I love the scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. It says, Your bodies are the temple of Holy Spirit, whom you have of God, and you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirits, which are God's. If you were bought with a price, do not be the slaves of men. Be the slaves of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 22 and 23, it says exactly that. You were bought with a price. Do not be the slaves of men. Be the slaves of God. They redeem. They are purchased with the precious blood of Christ. I mean, can you think about that, that Jesus shed his blood for you? He's paid the price. That you might live eternally. They redeem. They understand the depths from which they have been saved. Hence why they're immovable. They're committed How do I know they're committed? Well, they follow the lamb wherever he goes. I don't really need to say more on that. They're expectant. They're not pregnant. They're expectant. (laughs) They're looking for the second coming of Jesus. They're first fruits. First fruits of what? First fruits of the second coming that you see in verses 14 to 16 where Jesus comes to reclaim those who have chosen him. They're blameless. See that in verse 5. It says, And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. They've trusted in the righteousness of Christ 100%. They've crucified the lusts of the flesh, and they are without guile. You know that word there which says that they are without fault is the same word that is used when talking about a sacrifice that would be without blemish or without spot. That's how absolute the cleansing blood of Jesus is. Isn't that cool? That he takes your sins and casts them as far as the east is from the west. He buries them in the depths of the sea. It says in Isaiah, I have blotted out thy sins and thy transgressions. And as a thick cloud, I have removed them. Like God just takes them away and he doesn't remember them anymore. Why is it that we remember them so much? If they're forgiven and repented of? They're blameless. They reflect Jesus perfectly. They are a true representation of what God is. They're not a misrepresentation like the beast in his image. They're a true representation of Jesus. They are blameless. They are remnant. They're the final people that Satan is angry with. He tries to crush them out. But they're like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But if not. But if not. You know, um, so much of the time we choose, sometimes we choose to go along for the sake of getting along. Instead of choosing God first and putting his principles first and doing what's right because it's right. There's a picture I want to show on the screen. It's a man by the name of... It's, it's a German name. I'm going to pronounce this wrong, I know, from the get-go. Gustav Wergott. He was a man during World War II. There was a naval ship that was produced in Germany. Adolf Hitler came down and they were hailing the Führer. You can see this man just here. And while everyone was hailing the Führer, this man stood here like this. Here's a closer picture. Look at him. Just defiantly saying no. Is, is the majority of people in this picture hailing Hitler? Sometimes you've got to go against the crowd. This man was a Christian. He didn't want to compromise his principles. He didn't want to compromise his convictions. You know, there's another story I want to share with you in closing. This is my last story. Some Welsh missionaries went to India. And they went to India to spread the message of Jesus. 
And as they went to India, it's a polytheistic society. There's many different gods that you could worship. And as they were in India, they came across a man who converted to Christianity. He put his trust in Jesus. And because that threatened the whole tribal system in this man's little tribe, the chief priest summoned this man and his family before the elders of the tribe. And they, they challenged him, they confronted him to denounce his faith in Jesus, the pain of death. So they got the bow and arrow and they pulled the bow and arrow back and they pointed it at his kids. And they said, renounce the name of Jesus or your kids will die. Do you know what the man said? I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. And the archers let loose the, the, the arrows and the arrows thud into the children and they fall on the ground dead. They then go to his wife and they draw back the, the arrow and they point it at his wife and they say, do you denounce Jesus? You know what he says? The world behind me, the cross before me, I will follow Jesus. They release the arrow and it thuds into his wife and she drops down dead. Comes to him. He's got nothing else really to live for now. But they still point it at him and say, do you renounce Jesus? He says, though none go with me, still I will follow. And they let it go and it thuds into him and he dies. That village converted to Christianity right then and there. And we have that song, I have decided to follow Jesus from that very experience of that man that became a Christian who chose to follow the lamb wherever he goes. Opinion swings this way, we run that way. Opinion swings that way, we run that way. The followers of the lamb don't follow popular opinion. They do what's right because it is. They're not man pleases, there's God pleases. Are you following the lamb today? In the small things... Prepare you for the greater things. There are people of God in the end who are unique, who are redeemed, who are committed, who are expectant, who are ready for their coming king. They are blameless and they are remnant. Is that person you, O person sitting in these seats in Mwollombar? Is that you? I haven't even said whether this number is symbolic or literal. And I'm not going to say either way because at the end of the day, I don't think it really matters. I just think that you need to be a part of it. Throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity, don't you think it would be the greatest joy in your life and in your heart to be characterized as one who follows the Lamb wherever he goes? That's your choice. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to thank you so much that we can stand for you. When everyone else is standing for whatever it is that we can say, yes, today, me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Father, we ask and pray that our resolutions, Lord, our promises to you may not be ropes of sand today, but that, Father, the redemptive blood of Christ may be applied to the, to, the, to the mantelpiece of this heart, of all of our hearts, that, Father, we may stand in the righteousness of Christ alone. Father, we thank you so much for your redemption. We thank you so much for your assurance. We thank you so much for your promises. And we thank you so much for your nearness. May we choose to follow you wherever you go. It's the prayer that we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have any questions or comments in relation to today's program, you can call 3ABM Australia Radio within Australia on 02 
4973 3456 or from outside of Australia on country code 612-4973-3456. Our email address is radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. That is radio at the number 3abnaustralia, all one word, .org.au. Our postal address is 3ABN Australia Inc., PO Box 752, Morissette, New South Wales, 2264 Australia. Thank you for your prayers and financial support.
scars pure love released salvation by the mercy tree in the sky between two thieves on the blameless prince of peace bruised and battered star Sacred head pierced by our thorns. It is finished, was his cry. The perfect lamb was crucified. The sacrifice, our victory, our Savior chose. The mercy tree. Yeah.
You've been listening to The Mercy Tree and all those melodies were sung by Michael Lining. Before that, we were listening to Tom Mitchell who played The Holy City. Coming up next, Melody Shelton Firestone with I Tremble. Lord, it's with a simple reverence that I come into your presence whispering the name that comes all fear and I'm filled with such emotion at your mercy and devotion to think that you As you suffered willingly, Lord, I tremble at the way I'm undeserving of the love you came to give and the blood that makes me worthy, Lord, I tremble. Let me not forget this temple is transformed into a throne room, and through your name my soul is ushered in. So let me come to you in wonder, let my heart still pound like thunder at the This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.